In every shift and pivot, there's always a gift. And today I'm talking and having a conversation with Shiro Bergbauer. Shiro is a wife and a mom who underwent a tremendous scare that really shook her to the core. This health scare, along with some pretty traumatic work experiences, changed her and made her look at what she was doing. The decision that she made actually changed the trajectory of her career. She knew it. Shira decided the time had come to move on, but here's the rub. She was a nurse in the pandemic, and it was just getting started. So before we move on, please be sure you share and subscribe. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I so appreciate all your love and support. Be sure to check me out and visit me at gifttoshift.com. So Shiro made a decision based on her intention to really live in the present moment and create a life that was supportive to her and her family, even at the risk of losing her career as she knew it. But something deeper was calling and she had to recreate herself knowing that at any time, anything can happen. And so I'm just grateful because I feel like that's the way that we grow to be able to support each other and to grow as individuals, as business owners, as women, women of color. And I just love it. I'm all over it. So I'm just grateful for your time. And I'm so thankful. Thank you for um, having me. Absolutely. So tell me about your call to action. You know, the podcast is really about shifting and pivoting and creating a step-by-step process of what you did in order to pivot and change, particularly in this last year when there's been so much stuff happening. I mean, I don't even know what to name it. I don't have a word for it at this point in time, but I know. You know I would like to use another S word, but you know, the, the reality <laughs> that this has been, wow, what a year. And Absolutely. I wrote a post the other day saying that this is a year, but I'm going to end it on my terms. And so now that you're looking back for the first, let's say, 10 months, what is it that shifted for you? So 2020 kind of started off on a crazy like trajectory. So I'm going to just go backstory. Last fall, I finally got my husband to go get a physical, which he's just like not wanting to do it and finally does it. He has a family history of colon cancer. And so the physician says, hey, I need you to start getting screened. You're actually a little late because his grandfather was diagnosed around 50. So he should have started at 40. And my husband's like, okay, fine. And so I schedule the whole thing. And I'm usually off Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so I schedule it on my day off, which also happens to be on his birthday because we were going to do it before the holidays. And my in-laws were coming to visit from Austria and we decided it was just going to be too stressful. So let's just wait until after the holidays. So fast forward my husband's having these like, like waking up at night, thrashing in the bed. And I'm like, are you okay? And so like two days before we go, he's like, I just keep having horrible dreams that they're going to find cancer. And I'm like, they're not going to find anything. You're fine. You're, you know, you're healthy. You exercise. I mean, he's like healthy. He exercises. He's in great shape. Like they're fine. So fast forward January 7th, new year, you know, we still don't know what's going to happen in 2020. We go to get a colonoscopy and Fortunately, it was where I work and one of my colleagues, the main thing, he had actually come in on his day off to do the procedure and to do the anesthesia for the procedure. So I'm in waiting area and they like I my phone rings and he's like, the doctor wants you to come to the room and I can hear the monitors beeping. And so I know he's still in the room asleep and my heart just like shattered. And I was like, oh, my God everything's just scratching. I knew something was terrible. And actually my biggest suspicion was that I was going to go in there and he's going to say there's tumor everywhere. So I go in and he has this look of concern and he says, has your husband ever had any procedures done? I'm like, no. And so he shows me this area of concern. Fast forward, they started suspecting rectal cancer. 
And, you know, I went through the whole crying and getting, but I had to get myself together before my husband woke up from anesthesia to kind of explain what had happened. So we had to go through this whole month of testing and more biopsies and more diagnosis. And by the grace of God, it was not cancer. And by the time we were like this collective, you know, sigh of relief, we were drained. And I mean, we're still in the first month of the year. And talk about, you know, legacy planning and having to figure out, like, look at all our life insurances and look about, you know, what's his prognostic rate. And and I'm so blessed to be in a place where I work with, like, the best cancer doctors in the world. But also I know way enough that I had to start thinking in those perspectives, like, okay, what if he dies? What if he doesn't die, but he has to go through chemo radiation? What, how's our family going to look like? And we have a little child and how do we explain that? And I just remember when I was crying, I said, I don't want to raise this girl by myself. And I was just praying and I was like, you know, let it, let it be something else that we can actually handle. So anyway, by the time February was rolling around and COVID was like a thing, we had already just been like in shock. And so February comes along, COVID starts kicking in. I, you know, my job was, I was so blessed. I was able to like keep working, even though we weren't really physically present, we were still getting paid. And like, I do some side gigs. And so those had kind of shut down. And in that time, like I was home more and I was just like observing, you know, our family dynamic. Um, My husband's a consultant. And so he travels a lot. And because of COVID, he was home more often And we were getting to do like normal family stuff all the time. So for us, it's more like the weekends are such a treasure for us because we get to be together. And then it was like, wait, we're all together now. Like, it's so amazing. So this, I I just, I have to tell you, I'm like, what? I've just had an emotional roller coaster of emotions. And and COVID hasn't hit. (laughs) COVID hasn't hit. And just that, that mentality, I just... I feel like I need to take a breath because and not only that, but this sense of, you know, having worked in healthcare, you know, I know what it's like to just have your thoughts take the best, get the best of you because oh, yeah. it's almost like you have seen the gamut of what could happen and what that looks like. And then for it to hit so close to home and you are actually connecting, you know, this is your partner, your life partner. And then, you know, those thoughts can be so pervasive, you know, that you're just like thinking, what could it be? How can it be? I can't believe it. You know? And so I hear you. I hear you. I hear that. And you know, the crazy thing is like, you know, like my husband said to me, okay, so let's think about what if it's this, what's the next step? And I said, I'm going to call this great surgical oncologist and I'm going to talk to him about what he thinks and what is the plan. And he was so sweet. He was actually flying back from a meeting in Michigan and he got on the phone with me and he just kind of walked me through it. And he was like, you know what though? I just want us to wait for the final biopsies and make a decision after that. So then I, you know, I started looking at my husband's short-term and long-term disability and he's so blessed. He works for an amazing software company and they have like great benefits. And so I knew as far as time was concerned that we would be okay as far as him being able to be home and, and you know, recuperating or whatever. But also just like having to be in that time and thought process, like really helped me realize, wow, like the things we take for granted. And I am like, when it comes to gratitude, like I'm on it every day, but just the little things, like the fact that I work with these people and my husband, you know, he's super introverted and I'm super extroverted. And I remember him saying, gosh, it's so great that you like know all these people because 
a lot of these people I work with, like I felt comfortable enough to reach out to them and, and talk to them about what was happening. And they were like, like ready to help me out, you know? And so that for me was like, don't take for granted your relationships and the connections that you form because those either you support other people using those relationships or you can be a support to your family or yourself because of those relationships. So that's the beginning of the year. And then COVID comes and I, my boss had asked us if we wanted to be on the COVID uh, team and I had kind of expressed interest in it. I'm a nurse anesthetist. So um, we were going to create an airway team and basically any patient that came with COVID that needed an airway, basically, you know, an intubation to get an endotracheal tube, we were going to handle those patients. And then we were going to have a COVID unit that was being created. And I was like, absolutely sign me up. I want to do this. And I talked to my husband about it and we were like, you know what, every job come with risk and I want to be part of it. But then when I went to see my allergist, he was like, "Um, no, he goes, I, you know, cause I, I, my asthma is not super bad, but he was just like, I wouldn't want you to be in a situation where your lung function will be compromised. And for what he goes, you can find other ways to serve. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, so you I, told my I have to just stop you there because how many people with a scare, like you just had that your husband potentially could have, you know, had chemotherapy or radiation. You just went through the shock of your life. Your throat is in your toes, right? Your heart is, you know, I know I can recall times in my life where it's just like my heart just dropped out from my body. That's the way it feels. Right. And then you, you kind of come to you and you're like, okay, I'm so grateful. Everything is going so well. Thank you so much for these blessings. I'm so appreciative of all the things I have now COVID hits and you're like, yeah, I'm going on the front lines with a young child at home, you know, like that, you know, I have to say this and you know, I've had conversations with other nurses and people that work in healthcare and it's just part of who you are, you know, it's just part of who you are. And so I just want to say thank you because there's so many people who take it for granted. And I think it's because you haven't really been put in the situation, you know, when you're in it, when you see it, when you come home, when you see the effects on your family, on yourself, on your body, the emotional, the mental, you know, disruptions that happen because you're on the front line, whether you're a police officer or a firefighter, whether you are a nurse or a doctor, whether you are a social, you know, all these service providers that we take for granted, you know, there's something that we need to acknowledge and recognize in that because that's huge. It's a huge piece of it. So here the doctor tells you, sorry, you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. And so then I tell my boss, well, I can't do it. But then we were also going to form an airway team, which was going to basically be responsible for everybody else in the hospital that was probably not COVID positive. And so I said, sign me up. I want to do it. I want to be part of this team. And so I, you know, get involved in it and kind of, you know, I'm actively involved in getting everybody together and forming the team and training And I will tell you the most, the hardest thing that I've had happen to me this year, and it just sounds so silly, but we were in a meeting and we were training on how basically we put on our personal protective equipment, our PPE. And we were talking about, okay, so when you come in and you put this on and you put this on, and then somebody says, well, what if the patient is like in dire straits? Like, what if the patient's about to die? And one of the people that was training us just looked at us and they're like, there is no emergency in a pandemic. You look out for yourself. Because just because the person does not have symptoms, you still have to treat them as suspicious for COVID, right? And so you have to have all the equipment you need before you go in there and take care of the person. And I've been in healthcare for 16 years now. um, 
And I've never had to like think of me first, right? And so I just remember leaving the meeting and I come home and I started crying and my husband's like, are you okay? And I said, no, like this is the first time in this career that I've had been told that you come first. And I was just like, I can't understand it. I can't understand how can I let somebody's family member die? And he says to me, well, but you have to choose you and us first because that's the situation we're in. And so that for me was, I feel like my pivoting point, right? I have always put on my oxygen mask second, right? Not really taking care of myself first because everybody else came first, right? Right. And so just the realization that, you know what, like one day there will be a time where you have to look out for you first or it could be life or death. So that happens. And so I'm going through the motions and I, I feel like I was kind of in a funk, but I wasn't putting a name to it. And then I remember, I think it was May 7th. I was on the airway team that morning and my colleague and I, doctor, one of the doctors I work with, we got called to a code and it was pediatric code. So there was a child and we get there and it's a year old child Ugh. and I'm standing there and they said, oh, the child doesn't need an airway. He's already intubated. And so But then it's like, you know how like you're in a scene where you can't turn around and leave because you feel like you should be doing something. So we're standing there and she comes up after me and I'm like, they don't need us, but let's just stay. And they're having a hard time getting this kid back. He's bleeding from everywhere. Um, And I just glanced to my side and I see this man and I was like, oh, what's this guy doing here? And then I noticed the chaplain behind me. And then the, the doctor who was running the code walks up and starts talking to this guy. And I see him walk towards the, across the room to this woman and just hold her. And then I realized, oh my gosh, these are the parents. And now backstory, when I was leaving the ICU as a bedside nurse in 07, 08, we were just starting to talk about family presence during codes. Like that was now becoming a thing. The research was just starting. And I, so I, you know, I've been, I've been a nurse anesthetist for eight years and I was in school for three years prior to that. So I wasn't up to date with like how these things go. Right. And so then I'm thinking, okay, mom and dad are here, but who's taking care of them? That's right. And so I just grab a chair. I don't even know where the chair came out from. I just grabbed it. I had mom sit down and I was just kind of patting dad on the back. And as the rhythm on the monitor was changing, I was kind of just explaining to him what was happening. And I said, well, right now his heart's still kind of quivering. It's not really, you know, getting what it needs. And like within that like time frame, the doctor walks back again and he says to them, if he doesn't come back after this round, we're going to call it. We're going to call the time of death. And I just could not take it. And I was like, this child cannot die. And so I'm saying all my prayers, all my Hail Marys, everything. And he goes back into a normal rhythm. And I don't know how this miracle happened. But in that moment, one, I put myself in this parent's shoes, right? They didn't have the information that I probably would have if that was my child. So they were kind of lucky in that aspect, right? But I also realized like, Imagine everything else that's going through the, in the world and there's people that have these real, real struggles, right? And, and they're fighting through it. And I will say that this child kind of became like my little like person I had to like look out for. And so he ended up going to surgery and I went in to help with the anesthesia for that surgery just to kind of like keep an eye on him. I would still like, you know, on and on, like just see whether how he was doing and, you know, God is great. He actually went home um, wow. and he made it and he did great. Wow. So I think with those events happening, just kind of for me, were like, look, it could be your spouse, it could be your child, it could be you, it could be. And I started like asking myself, like, what legacy are you going to leave behind? You know, what, 
what would you want to be remembered as or or what parent would you want to be for for your kid right because i feel like i i i've intentionally parented my daughter and but i also started thinking like what if i wasn't here any longer like what would i want my child to look back and say well everybody always said this about my mom and this is the person i strive to be and you know, so just like all these things happening in a crazy crazy year and i just wanted to see the good and so you know, you bring up a really good point when it comes down to what is it that your legacy is going to leave? You know, my first episode was about my God's order, Natalia. And that was the last question that I left with the audience. What will your legacy be? She lives an incredible life and she was only 24 years old. And in the process of her creating so much love and exuding that, you know, the, there was a point that the emotions were so much in what she was dealing with. And it just sounds like to me that these emotions that were never, they were there, but maybe not present in the same way because now you're a mom and now you're, you know, you're, you're, you had that experience with your husband. Um, and even though you are a healthcare worker and on the front lines, there is still this an emotional piece that, you know, I remember when I, the only way that I can explain it is that when I worked in the hospital as a child life director, there was a child who came to me and said, you work in child life. And I said, yes, I do. And he says, do you work and get paid because you care or do you care because you work here? Like, which one is it? Wow. You know, and it was, I will never forget it. It's on the fourth floor of the inpatient unit hematology oncology and this seven-year-old kid asked me that are you working here because you're getting paid or are you getting paid because you care you know and I think that is probably one of the biggest takeaways that I've had in working in healthcare that there is a level of yourself that you leave you know and that emotionally there comes a point where you have to take care of yourself you know, and it's a real devastating part of moving in a career like that because you're not really, you're never really thinking that way. You're always putting the mask on someone else, supporting and helping. That level of self-care is taught, you know, and from, you know, in my perspective, as from the psychological perspective, you know, my, as a child life director, you know, your job is to support the emotional and developmental needs of children while they're in the hospital and advocate for them right? I'm not doing any medical stuff. I'm supporting yeah. kids and preparing them for, you know, procedures. I'm, you know, accompanying them into ORs, sharing information about how a port works on a doll, you know, for ease of, of translation and, and kind of gathering information the way that they need to get the information as a child. But when it comes down to it, that emotional piece, when it's like, okay. And after, you know, what was it? 12 years for me, it was done. And I had to move on and I had to transition because of that piece of it, the emotional toll the emotional that it toll. takes on you. And so once again, you know, when you walk into a hospital and you're working with healthcare providers, understand that it's just not them showing up to work. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're just putting your scrubs on and you're, you know, you're, you're putting on your protective gear and it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It's about really going in there and going into this field because you care, not because of the fact that, okay, I'm going to get paid. X amount of money because I'm doing this. And so I'm so happy that you brought that up because it seems like these were like compound events that happened in a short period of time. Yeah. And then here you were, you woke up and all of a sudden you're like, where am I? And what am I doing? What am I doing? Thinking more about more, how do I show up as a caregiver 
to my patients and how do I serve them, not just with the technical skills that I have or the knowledge that I have, but how can I touch the humanity of what these people are going through, right? And how do I translate that in my day-to-day life? How do I show up for other people while showing up for myself too? So, you know, for me, 2020, and I, and I say this and I don't say it in jest, like 2020 is not canceled for me because 2020 like created the dimension for me that I was able to walk into this box and pick out the things that I want to take with me into the next year and beyond. And the things that maybe I trivialized before that were important and the things that I held in high esteem that were important. And like one thing for me that was for sure after being home all the time and seeing my daughter and she's thriving was thinking, okay, maybe I could cut back on like work and maybe I could be home more. Like how can I change the way my job looks because I still love to take care of patients and I, I don't think I'm cut out to like stay home all the time, but I feel like, oh, what if I cut down on this aspect and maybe built on this other aspect, which then led me into like thinking about passive income and network marketing, things that I never, you know, had any interest in because I always thought, well, those people that are selling these things, like, don't you have enough money, you know? And especially with our profession, we make a significant amount of money. So I was thinking like, why would you want to do that? And then I started thinking, well, but what if I could do that to supplement the money that I wouldn't be making if I was home more? Right. But I was because so you, and now that you're thinking about it, like, it sounds like this was a story, right? Like, I, I'm not going to forget this story. <laughs> but when you're looking at it, and you're saying it, I'm sure this is not the first time that you shared it. Do you believe that the word burnout is a part of that? Absolutely. You know, one of my, and she's just a saint, she like reached out to me. I wrote this article and I just kind of wrote it on a whim and I put it on Medium and I probably had like 10 people read it, but I sent it to my girlfriends too. And my, it's how, like how to navigate, like being a working mom during COVID. And my girlfriend called me and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think I'm okay emotionally. Right. Cause I'm like, I, this is the year I've cried the most, you know, outside of all these things happening. And I said, I feel like I am burned out. Like I, you know, you're just in this hamster wheel going, going, going. You don't actually realize when you're beat and tired, right? That's right. And I came right off the heels of battling postpartum depression with my daughter. And so I went from that crazy to like crazy of work and run, 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 run. And then your husband and the scare, the shock. Yeah. And so for me, the gift of 2020 was the pause, like pause, look back, what's working and what's not working. and and look back and like, what are you placing of so much value into that's actually causing you to burn out? And so I started to like, think about how can I practice better self-care and how can I, you know, be more myself and how can I carve out time for me? And which I can, I'm very intentional with my time, but I started realizing I was not always putting myself on the front burner, right? And one thing for me, I think beyond all of this was the realization that I had a bigger purpose and I knew what I wanted to be doing and it came by way of accident because I was looking at my credit card statement and I was like, what is this charge for $310? And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to dispute this charge. I don't know who these people are. (laughs) And then I looked up the company and I was like, Oh, I paid for a website domain a year ago and I was going to launch a blog. And then I didn't. And so I said, okay, I'm going to like put it out there that I'm going to start this blog so I can be accountable to other people. And so I love it. And you know that what you said earlier about intentional pause, you know, 
2020 has really been that for so many. It's not only Absolutely. stopping, it's stopping and looking. It's stopping and intending to really understand what's important, what's not important, what I'm going to leave, what I'm not going to leave, what brings me joy and what doesn't bring me joy and really sit in that and allow that to be your driving force to create what you want. And so Absolutely. many times, you know, we get into a place that we believe that we, where we're, what we're doing and where we're at is where we're supposed to be forever. And oftentimes, that's not the case. You know, you're put yeah. in situations in certain circumstances to be able to learn, to share, to educate, to grow. And then there's another, there's another place for you. And so that whole allowing of the shift to happen, because I think that sometimes we're so resistant to the shift and to the pause that we don't really get the gifts of what we need. And 2020 was like right in your face. Like COVID was like, and this is, this is where the buck stops. You are going to collectively are going to pause and we're going to look at what really is important. And so I really see 2020 as a gift and I too wanted it to earn on my terms. And that's why I started this podcast, you know, just a month ago, because I was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to allow this to, um, to break me in a way where I don't have any input on how I want to be able to show up for the life that I've been given because life is so precious. And, and that for me, like, you know, when I, so I started the blog and it's anesthesiamom.com and then I opened an Instagram page and I was like, okay, now what do I do? And I started posting these things and then I was like, I don't like the, the handle anesthesia mom for Instagram. And so I was like, what is it that I really want to do? I said, well, I want to show moms, like, how do you go from being a clinician to a working mom and like the process and then beyond. And I was like, I think I'm going to call it stethoscopes to swaddles. And I tell my sister, she's like, oh my God, that's the best idea ever. And I'm like, but what am I going to do with this website? And she's like, oh, you can just build it onto it. You know, you don't have to change the website. And so I started, you know, communicating with people, just like making connections, which is how I met Amanda and realizing that, oh my gosh, there is so much room for all of us. And everybody has like something they bring to the table and, you know, social media gets such a bad rap, but I have met so many amazing people, especially so on Instagram, I. Yes, I agree. who are more than happy to show you the ropes, who are more than happy to like share information with you. And then there's like so much content out there that is so enriching and so fulfilling and especially for women and, you know, beyond your friends and their kids and their pets and their day-to-day -day life, like there's another realm of social media that you can learn so much. And so my pivoting has not only just been as a person, it's also being how I consume social media how I use my time and, and really even with my network marketing, monetizing the scroll. And instead of spending time, you know, just like wasting time on social media, like actually connecting with people because that's what social media really was intended for. To be social. It's social and connect <laughs> and not, you know, let me one up you because I just bought a new car or let me, right. you know, so it's more right. like, look at these relationships. And I feel like now there's people that I communicate with that I've never met. Right. That I know, like, if the world Instant opened up, friends. And we could have yep. a 
like a summit, I'll be like, I will have that summit with you. Or like, we're just going to have a Zoom conference. You That's know? right. Instant friends. I believe that. And I think that, you know, for the first 10, 15 years of social media, people weren't really sure on how to move through it. And I believe that now it's turning a corner. I really do feel that way. I, I do feel like people are looking for engagement and it's a great way to be able to capture an audience and to be able to share what it is and what your gifts are that we didn't have the opportunity to do that before. Because I think Absolutely. that we're all here to serve. And if you can find a way to be able to support and help people, then it's a platform to be able to grow on. And people are now looking for true, authentic engagement as opposed to like, how many followers do I have? Or yeah. how many people are doing that? You know, that's all great and dandy, but you want to be able to engage with people and connect with them in a way that is supportive so that people who are looking at your page or are looking at you can be inspired instead of feel defeated because they can never live up to that standard. So yeah. that transparency is really fundamental in creating long lasting relationships. People want transparency as opposed to just kind of, you know, yeah. other stuff. And so and I've, I've also like realized like sometimes I have these hesitations like, oh, I need to like, you know, de you know, be better dressed today so I can show up. And I'm like, no, the people who I connect with more are the people that I show up, that show up on social and I know they're showing up as they are, right? So why should I be any different? Why do I need to prepare for this grandstand? Especially as a mom, right? Like who I show up as is who I am and that's what you see. Absolutely. And it also comes down to the fact that in the process of building relationships and really being social again, you know, we have to be honest with where we're at and what it is that we want. And other people really fetch, you know, they, they gravitate to that. They want yeah. that. And it gives people a path to be able to say, hey, this is, you know, this is how she transitioned or listen to her story. This gives me so much inspiration, you know, because people can hear your story today and think, you know, I'm still in healthcare, but I really am not in it. My heart is not in it or I'm overwhelmed or I need emotional support. You know, I offer free support for frontline healthcare workers sessions as a transformational coach to be able to support the shift and the transition of what this all means, you know? And one of the things that I realized is that we are in this all together, you know? And if I can share and someone can share with me and support me, then, you know, we're working together. And this is how I think consciously as a community and as women and as people, humans, you know, that we can become a little bit more compassionate towards each other was the one takeaway that you had from 2020. So my one takeaway for 2020 is absolutely do it afraid, right? Like the worst thing that could yes. happen is if, if you fail, right? But if yes. you never start, yeah, you're never going to know. And the second thing is just when you start finding yourself worried about what people think or what people will say, check your ego. It's not them. Um, the, the most likely thing is that the reason you're worried about what people think and say is because your ego is telling you that it's of some sort of value what these people can input into your life. Just in general, women, we're so busy just filling cups, other people's cups, and it's like your cup is empty. Like, stop, fill it up, and then get back to it, especially in this season. So if you have not ever made time for yourself before this, it's going to be hard, but it can be done. It can be done and it, and you'll do it. You'll do it because the, the, where you're sitting 
the nail that you're sitting on will become uncomfortable at some point and you'll have to get up. And so, and in that getting up, there's a whole bunch of support for you um, to be able to create the life that you really desire. And just like, can we just all empower each other, you know, like lift each other up. The one last thing that I want to say about 2020, which really I'm a big Brene Brown follower. I love her to death, but you know, she talks about comparative suffering And in 2020, I saw a lot of it, even with myself, where you're like, well, I shouldn't complain, you know, because I don't have COVID. So I should just like, you know, and it's like, listen, gratitude and frustration are not mutually exclusive. You can be grateful and still feel frustrated by the fact that you haven't seen your family or you haven't gone on vacation that you wanted to go on. That's a form of comparative suffering when you don't allow yourself to grieve because other people are losing their jobs and you still have a job. But maybe working from home really doesn't feel like work like adequate for you because you don't have the support. But if you try to say it, then people are like, well, at least you still have a job. Yeah, but it doesn't mean your pain's not there, right? So I think if we can just give ourselves and each other grace and let ourselves feel the feelings. I love Brene. She's so on point. She's the she best. Has, yeah, she really does. She has a really people say they want to meet Oprah. I'm like, no, I just want to run into Brene Brown in the grocery store. In the grocery store, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's pretty powerful. And I like the fact that, you know, she really takes everything and simplifies it in a way that you can really digest it and not feel like you are so overwhelmed by this such great content because it's so great and it's so good. But sometimes when you get information, you're just like, wow, that's a lot. How yeah. am I going to do it? What are the bite-sized pieces that I can really move forward in? So I appreciate that. And I appreciate women who are doing that. You know, creating a course for me hasn't been easy, but it's something that I know that I needed to put down on paper and I needed to find support to be able to do that. And so for the perspective of just like, you know, getting to the next step, it's good and it's great, but really it's just this sense of bite-sized pieces of creating more, creating an ability to be able to create what it is that you want. I'm so grateful for my conversation with Shiro today. It was pretty impactful, even for me. I loved when she talked about comparative suffering and that, you know, our frontline workers and our nurses are really faced with such emotional trauma that we can never, ever, ever wrap our minds around unless you are a frontline worker. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I hope that it inspires and really supports other people on this journey. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. You can go to gifttoshift.com if you need support. I'm always here. I'm so thrilled and excited that you're on this journey with me and we'll talk next week.